Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast where we finish reading Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. I talk about Jumanji and Netflix's The Witcher. That's right, this week we dive into the finale of A Christmas Carol, parts four and five will be in this episode. I talk about that brand spanking new Jumanji movie, and I talk about my first impressions with Netflix's The Witcher. But before we get into that, let's do a little bit of housekeeping here at the top of the episode. If you enjoyed the Going Up cast and would like to support the Going Up cast, there's lots of ways you can do that. You go to patreon.com forward slash going up cast to become a $5 patron to get access to that monthly live stream where we'll do a Q&A session as to play video games and talk about some stuff. Um, I'm also working on a system to allow Patreon supporters to pick what book we read for the podcast. So if you want to get a vote in on what book uh, will actually be uploaded to the podcast, uh, check on over on the Patreon page and uh, you'll see a post about which ones I'm thinking about. And basically, whichever one gets the most you know, comments or whatever, that's the one I'm going to read. So that's kind of... It's kind of how I'm working at that. Or you can go to goncast.com forward slash store where I can read any book you want for uh, a, f- a fee that is described there in the pricing scheme. Or you can get your own mystery book, which could be literally anything for the low, low price of $9.99. And, you know, follow me on Instagram at goingupcast. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash goingupcast. All great ways to support me and get the word out. And uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcast. And if you could leave a review and comment, that'd be fucking fantastic. It would mean the world to me. And that is how we will grow and expand this podcast. But for now, let us do the beginning of the end of A Christmas Carol with part four, this future spirit creepy ghost. Stay four, the last of the spirits. And speaking of spirits... I have with me a lovely little glass of whiskey on the rocks. Ooh. Ooh. Smooth. Mmm. Ooh. Ooh, that's tasty. I got me that fucking Game of Thrones whiskey, the Night's Watch from Oban, uh, for the Crimbo. And, uh, mmm, that's good stuff. Mmm. It's all smoky. It's all peaty. But not too much. It's a good smoothness. Actually, it reminds me of Johnny Walker Blue. Anyway, uh, the last of the spirits. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When he came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for it, in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. (laughs) It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was a tall and stately, or it was tall and stately when it came beside him, and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Said Scrooge. The spirit did not answer. Uh, Or, actually, in the Dickens parlance, The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly uh, company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him. 
and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment and observing his condition, give, um, as observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intent fixed upon him, while he, though his out, though stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. Ghost of the future! he exclaimed. I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? He gave a no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come toward him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, though he thought, um, he thought, and carried him along. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompassed them of its own act. But there they were in the heart of it, on change and uh, amongst the merchants, who hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets and conversed in groups and looked at their watches and trifled thoughtfully with their great gold seals and so forth, as Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Inquired another. Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? Asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he'd never die. God's no, for the first said with a yawn. What's he done with his money? Asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excretion. What the fuck? Alright. I'm pretty sure it's excretions. Or excretions. I don't know. I'll Google this one. It's every now and then. Every now and then. Every every 100,000 cards. E-X-C-R-E-S-E-N-E-N-S. Um, excretions. A distinct outgrowth on a human or animal body or a plant, especially one that results of disease or abnormality. Excrescence. Excrescence, I believe is how you actually pronounce that. Do, 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 do. On the end of his nose, that looked like the gills of a turkey cock. I think that means a waddler. Or, 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 yeah, I think so. Like the little thing underneath the turkey. I don't think we call it a turkey cock. I could be wrong. Well, I haven't heard, said the man with the large chin, yawning again. Left it to its company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. This pleasantry was received with a general laugh. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, said the same speaker. For upon my life, I don't know anyone who'd go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going. If lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the thing on his nose. But I must be fair if I make one, another laugh. Well, I'm the most disinterested among you after all, said the first people. For I never wear black gloves and I never eat lunch. But I'll offer to go if anyone else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure I wasn't his most particular friend. For we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye bye Speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the man and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on the street, its finger pointed to two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men also perfectly. They were men of business, very wealthy, and of great importance. He had made a point always of standing well in their esteem in a business point of view, that is, strictly in a business point of view. 
How are you? How are you? returned the other. Well, said the first, old Scratcher's got his own at last, eh? So I'm told, returned the second. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose? No, no. Something else. Um, something else to think of. Good morning. Not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, and their parting. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial, but feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it would likely to be. They could scarcely be uh, scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob's old partner, for that was past, and this province was the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected to himself to whom he could apply them, but nothing doubting that to whomever so they applied, they had some latent moral of his own improvement. He resolved to treasure upon every word he heard and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared. For he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he had missed and would render the solution of these riddles easily. He looked about in the very place of his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to the usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in through the porch. It gave him a little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind a change of life, and thought and hoped to see his newborn resolutions carried out in this. Quiet and dark, beside him stood the phantom with its outstretched hand. When he roused himself from this thoughtful quest, he fancied from the turn of the hand, and its situation in reference to himself, that the unseen eyes were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. Unseen eyes is capitalized. I wonder what that is. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before, although he recognized the situation and its bad repute. The ways were foul and narrow. The shops and houses wretched. The people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, and ugly. Alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorged their offenses of smell and dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime and filth and misery. Why, the stench of crime was thick upon the air. Look at all these half-naked crime boys. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed beetling shop below a penthouse roof where iron, old rags, bottles, bones, greasy, awful, were brought. Upon the floor within were piles of, uh, piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to scrutinize were bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly rags, masses of corrupted fat, and sepulchres of bones. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a a charcoal stove made of old brick was a gray-haired rascal near 70 years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air without by a frowsy curtaining of miscellaneous tatters hung up on a line and smoking his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop, but she had scarcely entered when another woman similarly laden came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment, in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into laughter. Um, Let the charwoman alone to be the first, cried she who had entered first. Let the laundress alone to be the second, and let the untaker's man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joe, here's a chance, and we haven't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, removing the pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlor. You were made free of it long ago, you know, and the other two ain't strangers. Shop, stop till I shut the door of the shop. Oh, how it shrieks. There ain't such a bit of rusty metal in the place as its own hinges, I believe. And I'm sure it's such, uh, no such old bones here as mine. <laughs> we are all suitable to our calling. We're well marched. Come into the parlor, come into the parlor. 
The parlor was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair rod, and having trimmed his smoking lamp for it was night with the stem of his pipe, put it in his mouth again. While he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor and sat down in a flaunting manner on a stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking with bold defiance at the other two. What odds, then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed, said the laundress. No man more so. Um, why then, don't stand there staring as if you're afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dilber and the man together. We should have not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's uh, the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed, Mrs. Dilber said, laughing. If you wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, pursued the woman, wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, if he had somebody to look after him when he was stuck with death instead of lying gasping out there alone, all by himself. It's the truest words that were ever spoken, said Mrs. Dilber. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. And it should have been. You may depend on it. If I could have laid my hands on anything else. Open that bundle, old Joe. Let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see it. We uh, we know pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe. But the gallantry of her friend would not allow this, and the man in faded black mounting the breach first produced his plunder. It was not extensive. A seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value were all. They were severely examined and praised by old Joe, who chalked the sums when he disposed uh, to give for each upon a wall, added them up into a total where he found there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe, and I wouldn't give another sixpence if I were to be bored uh, for not doing it. Who's next? Miss Dilber's next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a few old boots. Her account was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's all. That's the way I ruin myself. So, Joe, that's your account. If you ask me for another penny, and made it an uh, and made it an open question, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. And now to undo my bundle, Joe," said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it, and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. "What do you call this?" said Joe. "Bed curtains." "Ah." Turned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her cross arm. Bed curtains. You don't mean you took them down rings and all with them lying there, said Joe. Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, said Joe. And you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in it by reaching it out. For the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe, returned the woman coldly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. Uh, his blankets? asked Joe. Who else do you think, replied the woman. Isn't he likely to take coal without them, I dare say? I hope he didn't die or catching anything, eh? Said old Joe, stopping his work and looking at that. Don't you, don't you uh, be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company that I loiter around for such things. If he did, uh, you may look uh, through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it, nor a threadbelt place. It's the best he had, and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What you call wasting of it? Asked old Joe. Putting it on him to be buried and to be sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it ain't good enough for anything. It's quite be, uh, quite as becoming to the body. You can't look uglier than he did at that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror. As they sat grouped around their spoil, in the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp, he viewed them with a destation. Um, nope, hold on. Destitation? Destitation. He's detesting them, so... De detestation there you go 
and disgust, which could hardly have been greater, though he, uh, though they had been obscene demons marking, marketing the corpse itself. Ha <laughs> ha! Laughed the same old woman when old Joe, producing a flannel bag with money in it, told out there several gains upon the ground. This is the end of it, you see. He frowned everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he's dead. Ha ha ha! Spirit! Said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heavens, what is this? He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed. Now he almost touched a bed, a bare, uncurtained bed, on which, beneath a ragged sheet, there lay something covered up. Uh, which, though it was dumb, announced itself in awful language. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy, though Scrooge glanced around it in obedience as the secret... as... Uh, in obedience to a secret impulse, anxious to know what kind of room it was. A pale light uh, rising in the outer air fell straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom, and its steady hand was pointed to the head. Covers were so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, and he felt how easy it would be to do so, and longed to do it, but had no power to withdraw that veil than to dismiss the specter at his side. O oh, cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death, set upon thine altar here, and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion. But of the loved, revered, and honored head thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purpose, nor make one's feature odious. It is not that the hand is heavy and will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still but that the hand was open, generous and true, the heart brave, warm and tender, and the pulse of a man. Strike, shadow, strike! And see his good deeds springing from the wound to sow the world with life immortal. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them. When he looked upon the bed, he thought, for this man could be raised up now. What would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard dealings, griping cares? They have brought him to rich end truly. He lay in the dark, empty house with not a man, a woman, a child to say that he was kind to me in this or that. And for the memory of one kind word, I will be kind to him. A cat was tearing at the door and there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone. What they wanted in this room of death, why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Spirit, he said, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let's go. Still, the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned, and I would do it if I could, but I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in this town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, Scrooge quite agonized. Show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robes before him a moment like a wing and withdrawing it, revealing a room by daylight where a mother and her child were. She was expecting someone with an anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, staring at every sound, starting at every sound. Looked out from the window, glanced at a clock, and tried in vain to work with her needle, and could hardly bear the voices of the children in their play. At length, the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, although he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he felt ashamed, and which he struggled to repress. He sat down uh, to dinner um, that had been hoarding him, that they had been hoarding uh, for him by the fire. When she asked him faintly what news, which was not until after a long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. Is it good, she said, or bad? To help him. Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined? No. There's hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, she said, amazed. There is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting, her husband said. He is dead. 
She was a mild, patient creature if her face spoke truth, but she was thankful and her soul to hear it and said so with clasped hands. She prayed forgiveness in the next moment and was sorry, but the first was the emotion of her heart. What the half-drunken woman whom I told you of last night said to me, when I tried to see him and obtained a week's delay and what I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me turns out to have been quite true. He was, uh, he was not only very ill, but dying then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But for the time, we shall be ready for the money, um, with the money. And even though we're not, it would be fat fortune indeed to find so mercilessly a creditor and his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Yes. Softened it as they would, their hearts, their hearts were lighter. Their children's faces hushed and clustered around to hear what uh, they so little understood were brighter. It was a happier house from this man's death. The only emotion uh, that the ghost could show him caused by this event was one of pleasure. Does the ghost have a boner? The only emotion that the ghost could show him caused by this event was one of pleasure. I think the ghost has a boner. That's not, that's not cool, ghost. Hey, ghost, no. So I just went out to the old movie theater place and saw that new second Jumanji movie. And I know it's, it's on the tail end of it being in theaters, but uh, it was pretty good. I actually think I liked it better than Star Wars. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for rock movies. I think that's been pretty well established. Um, this one, definitely, it's like pretty innocent. I was, I was going to say like, there's, there's not a lot at stake. I never really felt like any of the characters were like in danger because I kind of know how these movies go. So it's not like, oh no, they only have one life left. What's going to, what's going to, they're going to be fucking fine. Um, I've really enjoyed the the Milo and Eddie storyline, uh, Danny DeVito and Danny Glover. Um, I really liked them and being part of the story. I felt like it added a whole other level. Um, I felt like... So, the, the, the four kids, Spencer, Fridge, Bethany, and... And... The other one. <laughs> Fuck, what's her name? Um, I'm just gonna Google this. Anyway, the four fucking kids. Uh, like, the three of them were kind of still like, you know, buds. And then Spencer just kind of like drifted away from, from the crowd or from that group. Um, what was her fucking name? Uh, Martha. So, yeah, I felt like, so he, Spencer was just kind of separate, right? And then he goes back into the game because he wants to feel as cool as he did when he was the rock and um he eventually like becomes the rock again and then they're like all kind of friends again but i don't feel like spencer really learned anything i don't i don't feel like that was like developed enough you know like he he went off to college he was in a new city by himself he had a shitty part-time job like i get it yeah like we he was in the shit and he was feeling bad but it was like could have done a little bit more to develop those emotions and I feel like I would have connected with him a little bit more on that um there was enough there that I was just like okay that's satisfying but it's like there could have been more um naturally like The Rock did a great job Jack Black did a great job Kevin Hart did a great job all the all the acting in this movie was really good and the overall plot is a uh, pretty good and they have teased a third film um that seems to be uh going towards uh, what the original Jumanji movie did, which was when the board game came alive in the real world and not them going into a virtual space, which 
you know, that'll be that'll be interesting because I think what they're going to attempt to do, um, I mean, if the game is brought into the real world, then maybe the avatars will exist in addition to the children and kind of bring those those two sides of the coin together, which could be an interesting way to go about it. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they want to do. But I do look forward to the next one because these movies are just a lot of fun. They're just a lot of goddamn fun. And uh, I laughed a lot. I got a little teary-eyed there towards the end. And it's, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty goddamn good. And I would recommend it. I, at this point, you're probably just going to have to wait to see it on Netflix or whatever fucking streaming service picks it up because it's almost out of theaters. But if you can't stay in the theaters, I would recommend it. It's pretty fun. I'm, you know, The Rock makes good movies. What can I say? Good, fun, just action, adventure, uh, spectacle movies. He's just really good at that. And I liked it a lot. Anyway, let's get back into the Christmas Carol. Let me see some tenderness connected with a death, said Scrooge. Or that dark chamber spirit, which we'd left just now, will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet, and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself. But nowhere was he to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratch's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and then the mother and children seated around the fire. Quiet. Very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner. Sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and daughters were engaging in sewing, but surely they were very quiet. He and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Where had Scrooge heard those words? He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them aloud as he and the spirit crossed the threshold. Why did he not go on? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The colors hurt my eyes, she said. The color? Oh, poor Tiny Tim. The better now, said Cratchit's wife. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. Must be near his time. Past it, rather, Peter answered, shutting his book. But I think he's walked a little slower than he used to these uh, last few evenings, mother. Oh, wait, these are the, these are the fucking Muppets, right? <clears throat> They're very quiet again. At last, she said in a steady, cheerful voice that only faltered once. I have known him walk with... I've known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulders. Very fast, indeed. And so have I, cried Peter. Often. So have I, exclaimed another. So had all. But he was very light to carry, she resumed, intent upon her work. His father loved him so. That was no trouble, no trouble. Uh, there's your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and little Bob, um, and his comforter. He had need of it, poor fellow, came in. His tea was ready for him on the hob. They all tried, um, who should help him, uh, to it most. Then the two young Cratchits got to, uh, upon his knee and lay each child a little cheek against his face as they said, Don't mind it, father. Don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table and praised the industry and speed of Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. They would be doing. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. Sunday. You went today then, Robert? said his wife. Yes, my dear, said Bob. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. But you'll see it often. I promise him that promised him that I would walk there on, on a Sunday. My little, little child, cried Bob. My little child. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. If he could have helped it, he and his children would have been further apart, perhaps, than they were. He left the room and went upstairs in the room above, uh, which was light, lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child, and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down on it, and when he had thought a little and composed himself, uh, he kissed the little face. He was uh, reconciled to what had happened and went down again quite happy. They drew about the fire and talked, the girls and the mother working still. Bob told them of the extraordinary kindness of Mr. Scrooge's nephew, 
whom he had scarcely seen but once, and who had meeting him in the street down the day, and seeing that he looked a little, just a little down, you know, Bob inquired with uh, what happened to distress him. On which Bob said, for he is the pleasantest spoken gentleman I, you have ever heard, I told him. I'm heartily sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit, he said. I'm heartily sorry for your good wife. By the by, how he ever knew that, I don't know. Knew what, my dear? Why, that you were a good wife, replied Bob. Everybody knows that, said Peter. Very well observed, my boy, cried Bob. I hope they do. Heartily sorry, he said, for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way, he said, giving me his card. That's where I live. Pray come to me. Now it wasn't, cried Bob. For the sake of anything he might be able to do for us so much as for his kind way, that this was quite delightful. It really seemed that as if he had known our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he was a good soul, said Mrs. Cratchit. You would be sure of it, my dear, returned Bob. If you saw and spoke to him, I shouldn't be at all surprised. Mark what I say, if he had gotten uh, Peter, if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter, said Mrs. Cratchit. And then, cried one of the girls, Peter will be keeping company with someone and setting up for himself. Get along with you, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just as likely as not, Bob said. One of these days, though, there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however, whenever we part from one another, I'm sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim. Shall we? For this first parting that there was amongst us. Never, father, they all cried. And I know, said Bob. I know, my dears, that when we collect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily amongst ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob. I am very happy. Fuck Tiny Tim. I'm glad the little bastard's dead. Mrs. Cratchit kissed him. His daughters kissed him. And two young Cratchit kissed him. And Peter himself shook hands and kissed him. The spirit of Tiny Tim, thy childish essence, was from God. Spectre, said Scrooge. Something informs me that a parting moment is at hand. I know it is, but I know not how. Tell me what man was that whom we saw lying dead? the ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him as before through a different time he thought indeed there um, seemed no order in these later visions save for that they were in the future into the resort of businessmen who, but showed him not himself indeed the spirit did not say for anything but went straight on as to the end just now desired until besought by Scrooge to tarry for a moment this court said Scrooge though which we hurry now is where my place of occupation is and has been for a length of time I see the house let me behold what I shall be in days to come. The spirit stopped. Its hand was pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away? The inexorable finger unwent no, underwent no change. <sighs> Scrooge hastened to the window of his office and looked in. It was an office still, but not his. The furniture was not the same. The figure in the chair was not himself. The fan appointed as before. He joined it once again, wondering why, whether um, he had gone, accompanied it until they reached an iron gate. He paused to look around before entering a churchyard. Here and there, the wretched man, whose name he had now to learn, lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life choked upon it, it um, choked up with too much burying, fat with a repleted appetite, a worthy place. And the spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He advanced toward it, trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, to which, if preserved in, they must lead, said Scrooge. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. 
Say it is thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept toward it, trembling as it went, following the finger, read upon the stone of a neglected grave his own name. Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I the man who lay upon the bed? He cried upon his knees. The finger pointed to the grave to him and back again. No, spirit, oh no, no. The finger was still there. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at the rope. Hear me, I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man I have been but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued. As down upon the ground, he fell before it. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me. By my altered life, the kind hand trembled. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his agony, he caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding up his hand and a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Man. God damn, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. I almost want to... Yeah, fuck it. We're going to finish this shit. We're going to finish this shit. while ago a new show dropped that I'm actually still in the middle of watching so I don't know if it's gonna stick the landing or not but so far my early opinion of the Witcher is pretty solid I'll readily admit though that first episode was a little slow it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a slog and I was uncertain if I was going to be able to continue watching it because I was just kind of sitting there bored and I know enough about the Witcher from being alive to know that it's big on your kind of choices you'll make in the heat of the moment. You'll encounter a village, right? And the village is like, oh man, we're getting hit in the dick by this monster and we want you to go take him out. Go tag out this monster and save the village. And the witcher's like, all right. And so he, he rides off and he finds the monster. And the monster's like, nah, man, that village built its shit on my like house. That's where I used to live. They put their stuff there and I'm trying to take it back. They wronged me. They, wrong, they, they wronged me good. I want my stuff back. And the witch was like, now I must choose. And it's like, do you side with the village or do you side with the monster? No matter who you side with, the other side's going to make you feel like a dick. Like you're fucked up. And that's kind of how I'm getting, that's kind of what I'm getting with like every episode so far. Is that there's like, here's a problem. All right, I'll fix it. Now here's another side to that problem. Now it's a moral gray issue. And the witch is like, damn. And he's got to make a choice. But you as the watcher doesn't have, you don't have any say in it. Like, like in the, you do in the game. In the game, you can kind of, steer that shit however you want it to but and then in the show you just kind of have to let it ride and um it's definitely good enough that i'm gonna keep going um definitely a little slow in the beginning and it the show's really into itself like there'll be some shots where you know the guys that are making this shit were like damn that's a cool shot and i'm sitting here going like you guys are trying too hard to be cool and I can't help but continuously compare it to Game of Thrones. Because that was the last, like, really big high fantasy show. So naturally, the two require some comparison. And the first episode of The Witcher is way worse than the first episode of Game of Thrones. Second episode of The Witcher is pretty goddamn good, though. It definitely picks up. And it kind of can now hold its own 
on its own merits. Um, I, here I am, like, you know, still several episodes away from the end of the season. Because um, I've been busy. But it's it's been pretty good so far. I am enjoying it. And uh, I look forward to season two. I also do appreciate the fact that these episodes of season one are based off of the short stories that came before the books. Uh, and one way to look at this show is actually as a prequel to the video games. Because I do not believe the video games touched on the short stories. Um, they started with the with the actual saga of The Witcher. Um, and here we are in short story land. And um, it's... It's nice in that context where it's like kind of fresh to a lot more people. Like people that played the games may have heard of some of these stories. Like the Butcher of Blaviken um, is like a, a title I'm pretty sure uh, Geralt is called in, in the games with no context for what that actually means. But in the show, you actually see him gain that title. And it's kind of fun for those sorts of like Easter eggy things and the people that have played all the games or read all the books to kind of get that depth of lore or you'll get people like me who don't know anything about any of that stuff and this is just things I've figured out based on like looking at Wikipedia and things and I'm sitting there watching this going like I'm bored there's a scene in the first episode where the witcher has a, a bowl and a stick and some leaves in it and he's clearly trying to do some like mortar and pestle action but he's so ineffectual in his attempts to actually grind those leaves. He's like gently tapping them in like the most limp-wristed manner possible. I'm just like, dude, this is a prop. You clearly don't know what you're doing. And it's like, I can't, I like my leaves to be gently bruised. I like to make sure that the juices are just barely disturbed. That really gives them that kind of fresh crispness I seek in my... Ah, lunch garden salad with a balsamic vinaigrette, you know. But, yes, I also am a, a huge, huge top tip of the tip of the noggin to um the fact that they're using practical goddamn monster makeup effects. Like the third monster, the third episode, that monster is a fucking person in a suit. And hell yeah, I'm all about that. Practical effects are the way to go. That first monster we see in episode one is a CGI monster mash, and it looks terrible. But that third monster is a fucking person in a suit, and it looks fucking sweet. And then they have a fucking fisticuff fight, and it's radical. Do more of that shit. Practical effects forever. That shit is always gonna be my preference, always. So yes, I'm very much enjoying it. I can't wait to see more of it, and I highly recommend you watch it. But for right now, let's finish the Christmas Carol. Five. The end of it. Yes! And the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all time before him was his own. To make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and Christmas time be praised. And I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees! He was so flustered and so glowing with good intentions that his broken voice could scarcely answer to his call. He had been sobbing violently in his conflict with the spirit, and his face was wet with tears. They're not torn down, cried Scrooge, folding um, one of his bed curtains in his arm. They're not torn down. Rings and all. They're here. I am here. The shadow of the things that would be, they may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will. His hands were busy with his garments all the time, turning them inside and out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, making them parties to every kind of extravagance. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath and making a perfect lacoon of himself with his stockings. All right, hold on. Hold on. This is a, alright, this is a word. Alright, L-A-O 
C-O-O-N. So the second O, or the third O rather, has an umlaut over it. Uh, Lacoon was the son of Acoetes, is a figure in Greek and Roman mythologies in the epic cycle. He was a Trojan priest who was attacked with his two sons by a giant serpents sent down by the gods. The story of Lacoon has been subject to... So what the fuck is it? Making a perfect lacoon of himself. Uh, da -da -da -da. Um, is he an actual person? Um, no, he's a figure in mythology, so he was not an actual person. Um, oh, I know that statue. Okay. But what's like the... Hmm. It's a tragedy. And, uh, there's no like weird synopsis. Alright, it's a, it's a dude from Greek myth. Who gives a fuck? I'm light as a feather. I'm happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy as I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Hello here. Whoop. Hello. He had frisked into the sitting room and was now standing there perfectly winded. There's a saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge, starting off again going around the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw the watering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It's all happened. Ha ha ha. Oh, I have the hiccups. Ugh. All this acting. Bruh. Really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. Most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. Shall I... Shall I try to... So, he just had a girl fashion. I'll give him a good one. <clears throat> Fuck. <laughs> there we go. I don't know what day of the month it is, said Scrooge. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. Never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Hello. Whoop. Hello. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. Oh, I'm dying. He was checked in his transports by the churches, ringing out their lustrous, um, lustiest peals yet ever heard. Clang, clang, hammer, ding, dong, bell, bing, bing, bang, doom, ba ding, ba Oh, glorious, glorious. Running to the window, he opened it, put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold, cold piping for uh, the blood to dance to. Gold sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious! What's today? cried Scrooge, calling down to a boy in Sunday clothes who perhaps had loitered in to look about him. Eh? Yeah, returned the boy with all all his might of wonder. What's today, my fine fellow? said Scrooge. Today? replied the boy. Well, it's Christmas Day! It's Christmas Day! said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it! The spirits have done it all in one night! They can do anything they like! Of course they can! Of course they can! Hello, my fine fellow! Hello! returned the boy. Do you know the poulterers in the next street, but the one in the corner? Scrooge inquired. I should hope I did, replied the lad. An intelligent boy, cried Scrooge. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What, the one as big as me, returned the boy. What a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It is a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now, replied the boy. It is, said Scrooge. Go and buy it. Walker, exclaimed the boy. No, no. Said Scrooge, I'm in honest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here, and I may give them the directions to where to take it. Come back with the man, and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. He must have had a steady hand at um, at a trigger who would have caught a shot off so half as fast. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands, splitting with laughter. He sent no who sent it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Joe Miller never made such a joke as sending it to Bob's would be. The hand in which he wrote the address was not a steady one, but ready he did. Somehow, they went downstairs to open the street door, ready for the coming of the poulterer's man. As he stood there waiting his arrival, the knocker caught his eye. I shall love it as long as I live, cried Scrooge, patting it with his hand. I scarcely ever looked at it before. What an honest expression it has on its face. It is a wonderful knocker. 
That's a wonderful pair of knockers. Oh, I, I say, here's the turkey. Hello, whoop. How are you? Merry Christmas. It was a turkey. It could never have stood on its legs, that bird. It would have snapped them off a short minute like sticks of a sealing wax. Well, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town, he said. You must have a cab. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in the chair again and chuckled till he cried. I think Scrooge may have gone crazy. Pretty sure went, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to, don't want to cast aspersions, but I think Scrooge has lost his mind. Also, just real quick, like, I get it. I get the the point of this book, and it's a wonderful message, and being a better person and all that stuff, but Scrooge is on, like, fucking death's door, right? He's an old-ass fuck. He's only got, like, maybe half a decade to a decade at most of being a good person, and, uh, like, is that enough? You know, a life of wickedness and being a dick, like, solved with just, like, the last couple of years of you being an all-right individual. Is that enough? You have to be, like, one hell of an all-right individual, you know, to balance out the scales. Um, it's kind of like like praying on your deathbed if you've never did it in a lot. You know, it's, like, kind of a little too little too late sort of thing. Like, I bet he's still going to have a chain. It's probably not going to be as long, but, you know. Can 10 years of good undo 50 years of bad? I mean, numerically, I would say nay. Nay, I say, but I suppose it depends on the concentration of good. But perhaps I'm overanalyzing a simple Christmas story and we can all just smile and enjoy this whimsical tale for what it is. Because I still have Christmas decorations up. And I know it's January. Um, but, I mean, cut me some slack. It's a, it's, a, it's, a long, it's a long book. I need to get a coaster or something up here. Sorry, my glass of whiskey is leaving water rings on my table. And I don't want that. I don't, don't want it, I'll say. Anyway. Where was I? Um, shaving was not an easy task for the hand continued to shake very much and shaving requires attention even when you don't dance while you're at it but if he had ever cut the end of his nose off he would have uh, put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied dude just fucking chill for a minute he dressed himself all in his best and at last got out into the street the people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present walking with his hands behind them uh, walking with his hands behind him Scrooge regarded everyone with a delightful smile he looked so irresistibly pleasant in a word that three or four good-humored fellows said, Good morning, sir! Merry Christmas to you! And Scrooge had often uh, said often afterwards, one of all the blithe sounds he had ever heard, those were the blithest in his ears. He had not gone far when coming on toward him he beheld a portly gentleman, whom had walked into his counting house the day before and said, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. It sent a pang across his heart to think how this old gentleman would look upon him when they met. But he knew the path, uh, what path lay straight before him, and he took it. My dear sir, said Scrooge, quickening his pace and taking the old man gentleman by both of his hands. How do you do? I hope uh, you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, said Scrooge. That's my name, and I fear it may not have been pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon, and will you have the goodness? Um... Scrooge whispered in his ears, Lord bless me, cried the gentleman as if his breath were taken away. My dear Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, said Scrooge, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included, I assure you. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, said the other, shaking hands with him. I don't know what to say about this much. Don't say anything, please, retorted Scrooge. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? I will, cried the old gentleman. And it was clear that he meant to do that. Thank you, said Scrooge. I am much obliged to you. I thank you 50 times. Bless you. He went to church. 
Good for him. And I walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. And in the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. But he made a dash and did it. Is your master at home, my dear? Said Scrooge to the girl. Nice girl, very. Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? Said Scrooge. He's in the dining room, sir, along with the mistress. I'll show you upstairs if you please him. Thank you. He knows me. Said Scrooge, with his hand already on the dining room lock. I'll go in here, my dear. And he turned it gently and sliding his face in round the door. They were looking at the table, which was spread out in great array, for uh, these young housekeepers were always nervous on such points and liked to see that everything was right. Fred! Cried Scrooge. Ow. I just punched my side table in my exuberance. Dear heart alive, how his niece by marriage started. Scrooge had forgotten for a moment about her sitting in the corner with the footstool, or he wouldn't have done it on any account. Why, bless my soul, cried Fred. Who's that? It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in. It was mercy he didn't shake his arm off. It was just, uh, he was uh, home. He was at home in five minutes. Nothing could be hardier. His niece looked just the same. So did Topper when he came. So did the plump sister when she came. So did everyone when they came. Wonderful party, wonderful games, wonderful unanimity. Wonderful happiness. It's it's broken up with hyphens. Wonderful happiness. But he, he was early at the office the next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late, that was the thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. He was a full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open so that he might see him when he came into the tank. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice as he near, um, as near he could feign it. What do you mean by coming here at this time of the day? I'm very sorry, sir, said Bob. I am behind my time. You are, repeated Scrooge. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It was only once a year, sir, pleaded Bob, appearing from the tank. I sh it shall not be repeated. I was making I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. <laughs> you see, I was I was porking my wife, but good, sir. Somebody sent us a turkey, and Mo, oh, you know, got all excited and kind of sleepy, and then before you know, we were just at it like rabbits. We've got a new new child on the way. We've named him Tinier Tim. <laughs> oh God. Oh, Tinier Tim. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend said Scrooge. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, he continued leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered back into the tank again. And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Bob trembled. He got a little nearer to the ruler. He had a momentary idea of knocking Scrooge down with it, holding him and calling it uh, to the people to the court for help in a straight waistcoat. A Merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge with an earnest, um, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken. He clapped him on the back. A Merry Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, that I have given you a many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttler before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. What the fuck is a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop? Let's go to the internet. Smoking Bishop. Um, oh, it's a drink. Would you look at that? It's a type of mulled wine. Oh, wow, that's good. Um, it's So the image of Wikipedia has a picture uh, from A Christmas Carol of Scrooge giving 
uh, bowl of Smoking Bishop to Bob Cratchit. And it's the exact same art that I have in my version of the book. That's really cool. Um, Smoking Bishop was made from port, red wine, lemons, or Seville, uh, Seville oranges, sugar and spices such as cloves. The citrus fruit was roasted to caramelize it and the ingredients then warmed together. There is a persistent myth. The name comes from the shape of the traditional bowl shaped like a bishop's mitre and that in this form it was served in medieval guild halls in universities. Other variations of the drinks collectively known as I'm not even going to I'm not even going to try that. There's a smoking archbishop, a smoking beetle, a smoking cardinal and a smoking pope. Interesting. Um the other day I had a drink called Glog which was a mulled wine made with a port and aquavit. And fuck me, that was delicious. I was also boozy as hell. So, you know, had fair warning. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, a good master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough, in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, in which some people did not have their fill of laughter on the onset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should make up wrinkles in their eyes and grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever after and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge may that be truly said of us of all of us and so tiny tim observed god bless us everyone and that's the end that's the end of charles dickens a christmas carol first published in 1843 you you look me in the eye and you tell me that wasn't a good goddamn book I challenge you. That shit was great. Woo! Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. I don't know what I'm going to read next. I got a couple ideas, but believe me, you'll know when I do. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of Going Upcast. I will see you all next week, where we will begin a brand new audiobook adventure and talk about other stuff. Have a good one, everyone.